Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the August 1st, 2023 edition of Ask a Leader. In the thick of strike mode is my first guest, Ada Briseño, co-president of Unite Here Local 11, representing over 30,000 hotel workers, 60 hotels in Los Angeles County, Orange County, and Arizona. And in the second segment, Yusef Kadish, Transportation Commissioner for City of Irvine Council Member Kathleen Traceder, will talk about e-bikes in and around town. The software and the hardware of it all. We'll be right back. My first guest today is Ada Briseño, co-president of Unite Here Local 11, representing over 30,000 hotel workers, 60 hotels in Los Angeles County, Orange County, and Arizona. Unite Here's leadership has been transformed from a traditional top-down union to one with a flattened command structure to better tap into a new generation of immigrant Latino workers, Along with Kurt Peterson and Susan Minato, the three generally split responsibilities based on their strengths. Ada Briseño on the ground, Susan Minato behind the scenes, Kurt Peterson as the strategy genius. But somehow they juggle tasks as needed. My guest, Ada Briseño, is Vice President of Unite Here International Union and a National Steering Committee member for the Labor Campaign for Single Payer. Unite Here Local 11 won historic living wage and other innovative initiatives for thousands of workers in California, now taking up the matter as well of sexual harassment in the hotel industry while raising wages and pension benefits for low-wage workers. Ada's roles in the California Democratic Party is currently serving as the chair of the Orange County Democratic Party and as an executive board delegate. She's the former chair of Orange County Clergy and Laity United for Economic Justice, CLU, mentioned, a member of the South Coast Air Quality Management District's Environmental Justice Advisory Committee, a steering committee member of the Orange County Women's March, and was a founder and interim executive director and board chair of the Orange County Communities Organized for Responsible Development. We're recording this on July 31st, you know, because so many fluid labor situations right now. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Ada Briseño. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you, Ada. Unite Here was last on Ask a Leader when director and negotiator Austin Lynch and hospitality worker Maria Balderas spoke about Irvine adopting a workers' protection ordinance before we zoom out to the whole region strike I'd like to know what the status of that ordinance is in Irvine when the it was the rollback initiative failed last winter to collect sufficient number of signatures for a city vote to recall the ordinance. Then we'll, we'll look at the uh, manner in which this ordinance may have traction with other city councils adoption around the county. Yes, so we were successful in stopping the hotel companies at their track. They spent more than half a million dollars trying to undo our initiative. 
and uh, they failed. They failed because hotel workers uh, made sure that we told the story to the to the folks that were signing in the correct way, and uh, we were successful in retaining our ordinance. So as we speak. You know, we understand that some of the hoteliers want to uh, get a pass on it. And so they're asking to be excluded from the ordinance. But, you know, we're fighting back. We're fighting back to make sure that the hotels are able to uh, have the paddock buttons and the protections that room attendants need uh, in the city of Irvine. And so you were saying they're trying to get a pass. Now you're speaking inside Irvine. How are other cities around Orange County looking at this ordinance, looking at the template with what kind of care are the? So we are, uh, we have a special election coming up in the city of Anaheim that includes a panic button component, a living wage of $25 an hour and workload protections for room attendance. That's going to the ballot on October 3rd. It's a special election in the city of Anaheim that would impact one of the biggest hotel industries in all of Southern, uh, Southern California, definitely a big, bigger than any other hotel industry in other cities in Orange County. So that's where we're going next. And uh, we will work really hard to ensure that voters understand that folks need to earn $25 an hour. They need to have panic buttons and they need protections for their bodies and the work that they do uh, day in and day out. So Ila, I'm sure I'm anticipating listeners' curiosities too. Is So this special election is something similar to what was a- attempted last winter? This is not the same kind of step taking as to have put to the vote now for residents. For it is you're you're absolutely right, Claudia. I I know what you're getting at. the The council in Anaheim, the pro, uh, the, the majority there, besides two of the council people, the mayor and Carlos Leon, uh, you know, they have been pro pro worker and pro this uh this ordinance, but the rest of the council has really fought back uh, against us, despite, um, you know, our collection of signatures in the city of Anaheim. Uh, They wanted to do a special election, and that hasn't happened for many, many years. The special election that they had maybe in the 80s or 90s drew only 20% turnout. The contrast is the November election, uh, which the last presidential election was at 85%. So by putting on this special election, they're disenfranchising 65% of Anaheim voters. Um, But we're determined. Our members uh, know how to knock on doors and change hearts and minds and bring people out to the polls. We're determined, special election or not, to make sure that the members, that um, the voters side with the $25 an hour panic button and workload protections. Okay. And the county board of supervisors, they're also a municipality. They are the unincorporated areas. Have they also been weighing in? It's a different composition than in previous administrations. We are focused in the city of Anaheim at this point. Okay. That's where our focus is. 
For those of you who just joined us, my guest is Ada Breseño, co-president of Unite Here Local 11, a hotel and resort workers union. Well, let's now go on to the union in the broader sense. It's been without a contract with the coalition of up to almost 45 hotels in the LA and Orange County areas. And I believe 18 of now 44 hotels were hit with the walkout. I don't know. I've been looking around other for the numbers as we are at the last day of July. The brands affected folks, uh, many of them under the uh, common corporate ownership include Hilton, Hyatt, Marriott, Doubletree, Sheraton, Four Seasons, W. Lowe's, Fairfield, Holiday Inn, Weston, and Hampton Inn. So tell us which of the, the are all those brands still involved with the, the walkout? And we'll, we'll get into some other parts of the terms and the conditions that you're negotiating about. Yeah, so so maybe I can frame this a little uh, a little bit. So this is the largest strike that the hotel industry has seen at a time where the industry is making record profits, even pre-pandemic level. All the while, our workers are struggling with very high numbers of inflation and unbearable cost of housing. And you can see many of our members are couch surfing. They're taking shifts in renting rooms. So I'll be more specific about that. They, If they work at night, they'll rent a shift in a room in someone's house in the morning and vice versa. It's really, really, you know, devastating to see that many of them are living in their cars. They've been pushed out of the areas where they work and they have to travel two and three hours to get to their work location or back home. And, you know, it's leaving the backbone of the hospitality industry, you know, behind, very, very behind. And it's really corporate greed at its best. So many months ago, our members voted to strike. This contract includes about 15,000 workers, and we've already struck about 43 hotels. There's somewhere between 65 to 70, 60 to 70 hotels which are involved. So, so far, we've had strikes in Pasadena, downtown Los Angeles, Santa Monica, Anaheim, Irvine, Dana Point, LAX, Beverly Hills, and many other cities. And you know, some of you may may have had a chance to see it on the news or hear, you know, hear our picket lines. But uh, we've been joined by writers and SAG-AFTRA. Our message gets really loud and clear because we have drums, pots and pans, and bullhorn speakers. They're highly visible picket signs and really massive banners. So you can hear and feel the courage of our members in the air around our picket lines. And there's, you know, we're on our third wave of this strike, but there are many more to come. And, you know, so far, uh, the company has come to the table, but no movement. Uh, so we've got to keep pushing, right? And, you know, you asked about our demands. They're simple. We got to keep hotel workers with a roof over their heads and not picking whether or not they're going to have breakfast or lunch because they can only afford one. So it's around wages, pension, health care, and workload. Those are our simple requests. And the safety aspect, as was brought up in Irvine with the ordinance last fall, so is that also a part of the package? Or has LA more broadly adopted those panic buttons for hospitality workers? 
you know, um, even though we may have a little bit, you know, uh, additional language here and there, it's been broadly uh, accepted already. Okay, so increments, <laughs> baby steps in there. So how far apart? I mean, I know that's kind of a, a privileged no sort of a-, a, a No doubt, no doubt we're far apart. They, they came and they made no movement on the table. And so we're, we're moving and we're um, going one day longer. Okay. And I, I guess I need to bring in where other union dynamics can sort of put more wind in the sails, so to speak, is, and it gets to the point of how long can the hospitality workers remain in this strike is that you're now working, you've got this strike that began, the Writers Guild of America strike beginning on May 2nd, and the SAG after the strike that began on July 14th, UPS did settle to in what I believe that was satisfactory for them. So talk about this moment that you are in with those other strikes ongoing. Does it does it continue to magnify? You talked about banging pans, but there's also uh, layers and layers of other kinds, other and totally different kinds of workers that are raising the union profile. How does that dynamic work for hospitality employees? You know, I, I think we're in a beautiful time. I've been a leader in the labor movement for the past 32 years. I, I can tell you that I've never felt what I feel in the streets of Southern California. And I'm so proud that, again, California is leading our nation um, with the amount of strikes, saying enough is enough. We've been pushed towards a place where it's putting us out in the streets. All the while, folks are making record profits. And it's the same thing with the writers. And uh, it's the same thing with the actors. And it's the same thing with room attendants and dishwashers, right? We're living the same large multi-million dollar greedy corporations trying to keep us oppressed. And so I feel the solidarity when the writers went out on strike, we were already preparing to go on strike, but it was a boost. It was a boost for us um, because we knew we're, we weren't gonna do this alone, right? And we saw the teachers did it before the writers. And there's just been so much solidarity that it's really impressive. It's 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 a beautiful time uh, to be a labor, to be a labor activist, a labor leader, to be involved in a union, in my opinion. So Ada, the split screen here, the solidarity on the union side, you kind of have to wonder, and I wonder to what extent you wonder how the solidarity on management, if that's reinforcing their resolve not to give in to any terms. Is that something you think about? You know, um, I, I just want to say that, uh, of course, it's their resolve. Um, and while, you know, I've got to at some point think about it, I am too busy pushing back right now and making sure they hear us and they feel us. And uh, and and that we are uh, pushing open uh, and getting as much support as we can, and uh, we're causing as much uh, difficulty as we can. 
And so that's, I, I feel like every day we're winning, just like Kurt Peterson says every day where we won the day and I feel it. Um, our members are standing strong. Uh, you know, other hotels are coming out on strike and they're like, okay, we're ready. Um, I, you know, again, I haven't seen this uh, before, but I am, I'm so happy to see how we're leading the way because we are, we're leading the way for hundreds of thousands of, of workers across industries. And between the threesome of your leadership of Unite Here 11 is that there's no accident that it's the summer season where there is so much hotel traffic. Of course. I mean, this is, uh, you know, again, you talked about the strategy of, of Kurt Peterson and um, this is his baby. He's been, He's been leading this and it's it's no coincidence, the timing, the number of hotels. This has all been a working progress for such a long period of time for our union into getting us to, to this place and seeing how pushed we are with the housing crisis uh, just validates the fact that we've been behind and we we can't be there. You know, we, we've got to catch up and we've got to make sure that people have a dignified life. So Unite Here has appealed to, among other A-listers, to Taylor Swift. She'll be performing next week, and she brings a, like a miniature economy with her on her tours. And uh, also there's, and I, I'm watching some of the Twitter activity here, and there is the American Political Science Association conference. And so there's a discussion amongst the membership, but also you're trying to appeal to the ta to Taylor Swift as a, a performer to sign up with you, but we can, I mean, I'll bet money we can anticipate she's going to say to her fans, she'll throw you all a bone, you know, let's support the hospitality folks. But meanwhile, her ticket holders are checking in and they're checking out where the room rates are, are double and triple the usual rates. So what is, we know what your wildest dream would be that people aren't, you know, they just leave the hotel, but what do you, what do you want Taylor Swift to do while she's in town? We're asking her uh, to postpone her, her shows. We're asking Taylor to make this era a solidarity era, you know, an era of solidarity. We're feeling it. We're sensing it. Snoop Dogg canceled his particular uh, concerts We've seen all these folks, right? The Democratic Governors Association pulled out of one of the hotels. Vice President Harris pulled out of staying at one of those hotels as well. Uh, W.K. Kellogg Foundation. Vander Trump filming was canceled from one of the hotels. The Japanese American Citizens League and so many others are saying, no, we're going to back up the hotel workers right now because we see uh, the corporate greed. And so we're asking Taylor Swift to to postpone her concert. So that gets to you're saying those other bookings could move out of their the facility and into other places. And so I'm just wondering. So part of the leverage is workers could go to other hotels, but there's only so many open positions for hospitality workers. So, but you're talking about people pulling out. What other leverage is is really key in the strike? We are asking folks in general not to cross our picket lines. We're going to be, we are, we have been, we will be on strike. And we ask them not to, uh, 
cross our picket lines and to find a location that it does well by its workers and pays them a living wage and has a contract with Unite Here Local 11. So I also noticed in the New York Times this last weekend is a new business model that hotel operators are, as they say, is the article, betting on longer stays. There is a redirection. I mean, they're they're building out different, or I'm not sure if it's the interior design or building new structures so that people, patrons can stay on for much longer and they include in there how they can lower costs weekly rather than daily housekeeping is a feature of this business model. What does Unite here, Local 11, have to say where that's that's sort of a, a whole way of operating. How would you respond to that? Look, I, I got to tell you that after the pandemic, you know, the hospitality industry took it upon themselves as they do after many tragedies. Uh, we saw them take advantage of the workers right after 9-11 when the decline, you know, when nobody was flying. Remember that? We saw them take advantage of the workers. They cut the workforce and never brought people back. They made workers have one more than one jobs and never replaced the workers. So workers had to learn how to work faster and injuring themselves. And then after, you know, so after 9-11 and then after the 2008 recession, we saw how the hotel industry came down and then again, that the hotel industry got cute on the backs of the workers and uh, again, made even a bigger reduction of people's work. So I've been uh, around long enough to see that in every crisis they take advantage. And I gotta say, while Americans bailed them, them out during the pandemic, right? They got the PPP loans that were supposed to trickle down to our members. Our members never saw that. But instead, they decided to figure out how to cut us out of, of work. They uh, they took away daily room cleaning, which has been a staple. Like if the, it, the thing you do when you go to a hotel is people take care of you. And you pay for a service to make sure that your space is clean and that you're able to enjoy yourself and that if you want room service, you can have it. And if you have a full service restaurant where you can go have a fancy dinner or have a nice dinner in the place where you stay and you can have a bar and so forth. But what they did is really cut out a lot of that. And so and before you were able to ask uh, the hotel to not clean your room if you didn't want anybody to go into your room. But now you have to do the opposite. If you want them to clean your room, you have to call them on a daily basis be the day before. And if you call them the day of, you will not get your room clean. And so that has cut out. And that was so damaging. You know, Claudia, that women in general uh, took many, many steps backwards after the pandemic as far as the workforce and so forth. Well, the hotel industry hit a group of women that have already been so vulnerable. Women of color across the United States in the housekeeping department went backwards without the daily room cleaning. And that's a big demand that we have. It's a big demand that we have in the contract negotiations as we speak. It's also in our initiative in the city of Anaheim. And we are going to fight for daily room cleaning because that is an important 
important feature for the backbone of the hospitality industry, which are the room attendants? Well, the point about the daily room cleaning is it does not create like a backlog of a lot more to clean, like days of use that are a part of the numbers that the the maids have to hit in order uh, to for their compensation. That's I'm not sure if that's the proper shorthand. Well, what happens is that if you now in a 200 room hotel say that there's 150 that are occupied, but only you know 20 of them ask for room cleaning, you now reduced the the amount of people that are working in the hotel by a whole lot of people, and that's where their biggest earnings go, right? Like they're cutting down on, on front desk people. They're cutting down on bellmen. They're cutting down on concierge. They're cutting down in every piece of the hotel that you can think of. The bill being of hotel management. Yeah. In the, in the terms of the, uh, the numbers there. So I guess I, if we, in closing, uh, how does I mean, it's an education campaign for people to understand to ask for daily service because they think there's a carbon footprint to getting daily service. So there's that education. The other education campaign is for the quilt, for people to understand which hotels, how do you inform prospective patrons, which hotels are where the strike is taking place or which ones where they're the patrons you would welcome? Well, thank you for that. Um, I, I would say that it really depends, right? But you can go to fairhotels.org to see some of the hotels across the country. But obviously, right now, we're embroiled in this in this big fight in Southern California. But if you go to downtown LA, you definitely can go to the Bonaventure because the Bonaventure just agreed to our terms. And we do have a contract with them. So, and all these will be updated as we move forward, right? That's really important. But if you if you see a picket line, do not cross it. That's that's important. But go to fairhotels.org and you can get more information on that. And I missed your first question. So Fair Hotels is daily updated then? It's, a, it's current? It is as current as we can because it's a moving target, right? but we will see more updates uh, as we go. The other question was the other education campaign for patrons of the hotel services is for us to sort of re-educate where we were thinking we would lower our carbon footprint by not having housekeeping every single day. And that there's a sort of a labor aspect to trying to pair them. Is, so how do we get, how do you get that message out? You're, you can still keep the towels and make sure you use towels multiple days and uh, your linen does not have to be changed, but your trash and your bed should be made and your toilet can be scrubbed. What happens is after staying five or six days, you can imagine how much dirtier a shower is and a sink will be. And so when a room attendant goes in there, the wear and tear in her body is, is it, it, they're still required to finish it in a specific time, but it just takes them much longer. And for the, there's many folks that are not thoughtful or cautious about how many, you know, uh, how many towels they use. So they will accumulate there. And when those towels are heavy 
and they're not taking out two or three like they would on a daily basis. But if they're staying four or five days, they're now taking out 20 towels that have been stuck in that room for five days or whatever that will be. Those carts that they get loaded into are super heavy. Wear and tear in their bodies is real and harsh. Well, this is a a way of understanding how this business model works. And I thank you for giving us this insight today, Ada Braseno. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having us and speaking about this issue. My guest was Ada Roseno, co-president of Unite Here Local 11, a hotel and resort workers union. We'll be right back with Youssef Kadesh, Transportation Commissioner for Irvine City Council, talking about e-bikes in and around town. Welcome back to the show. My next guest is Irvine City Council Transportation Commissioner Youssef Kadesh, talking about e-bikes in and around town. Youssef Kadesh is a product of an Irvine upbringing, and he's graduated from Northwood High School. He is a transfer student from Irvine Valley College and will join UC Irvine's class of 2025 this fall with a major in urban studies. His passion is in particularly transportation policy and climate change. He was appointed as transportation commissioner in December 2022 by Irvine City Council member Kathleen Traceder. And in this capacity, Youssef advocates for alternative modes of transportation, such as cycling and transit, in order to alleviate the worst effects of climate change and improve the quality of life for our residents. He believes that narrow preconceived notions of what transportation is results from deliberate poor policy choices and pushes the transportation to approach transportation outside of the worldview of car-centric urban planning. Man, oh man, I would get such validation from Youssef. The most recent passes I've gone along on Interstate 405 where additional new lanes were laid down so you can't even count them on two hands anymore all the way across that right of way. In his free time, Youssef walks the walk that he chooses cycling along with other pastimes around town. As an underground, Youssef is someone to watch starting pretty early in his capacity in advocacy and policy making. We're recording this July 31st. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Youssef Kadesh. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. I must say last week's Irvine City Council meeting took up a really complicated proposition, how to manage the flow of e-bikes with the mix of transportation, the mix of ages of users with the planet burning up partly due to transportation emissions. And then we get a a recent edition of the New York Times talking about the hazards of e-bikes. So let's beat that, all those possibilities, all those factors back into what your sense of the council is of handling this very complicated 
transit choice. So let's start with how you began as a transportation commissioner to contribute to how city council member Kathleen Traceder is making policy with everything that's already in place right now. Where did you start with advising her about taking first steps to incorporate e-bikes into the mix? So up until recently, cycling was quite a dirty word in Irvine. We had a pretty conservative majority in the council. So I think a lot of the work that we're doing is kind of undoing and starting to challenge a little bit of that mindset that was crafted under previous councils. And, you know, this is the most climate conscious council we've ever had. And I think we're starting to see some good trends on that front in terms of transportation and uh, new approaches. So uh, in the capacity that I advise Councilmember Traceder, I, I help her understand some of the policy decisions that will be made and uh, kind of what my view is the best course. And she tends to generally accept it and she she does value my advice and I'm grateful for that. So, so we have what I would consider there's the hardware and there's the software and the hardware would be the infrastructure, the built environment, as urban planners want to call it. So you've got the mm-hmm. the street where the standard where automobiles are operating. You've got a, a a shoulder. You've got a curb. You've got sidewalk, and you may have off road kind of pathways. So mm-hmm. there are and and there I don't believe there in Irvine there are sometimes painted lanes for bicycles. So that's that's kind of even though it's not a it's not a hard structure it's still part of the infrastructure so right. you're dealing with some decisions that have been made long ago so we have now the e-bike for how many years in the city of Irvine to your best guess well we know that there has been an increase in e-bike sales even before the pandemic but just like you know we see in nationwide it was really the pandemic that really created this explosion in e-bikes. People wanted to leave their homes, kind of get some fresh air, and they used the opportunity to buy an e-bike. That's kind of the general trend there. To your recent point earlier about, you know, the separation of you've you've got the curb and the sidewalk and the shoulder, part of a lot of what we're discussing at the council is uh, protected bike lanes. That's something we see as a potential solution to kind of alleviate some of these issues that we're seeing with e-bikes because unfortunately the bike lanes today have a a strip of white paint separates cyclists from uh, 55 mile an hour traffic obviously people are going to use the sidewalk and that's where pedestrians start to um, get very much disturbed by these very high speed e-bikes so one of the solutions we're thinking is if the bike lanes were safe enough then they would be using them and they would not be bothering pedestrians so that's we do have lots of trails, but the on-street facilities are very much lacking in that sense. So that is something that the council is looking at. Finally, we have a mobility plan that was recently, council just directed staff to develop a class four approach mobility plan, which will return to council in January, 2024. So I'm very much looking forward to that uh, larger expansion of class four protected bike lanes. So Okay, we're... so let's go geek totally out here with some of the terms that you're bringing up is protected bike lane means it's on a regular street it's protected bike lane is not talking about an off-road paved bike lane 
Right. It is, it is considered technically on street, but in some senses you might call it off street as well. But I think legally it's considered on street in that it, it does provide some kind of physical barrier that separates the bike lane, otherwise known in this instance, you would call it a cycle track from the actual moving vehicle. So yes, it's still on street facilities technically. And you and the, what kind of barrier are you referring to? I don't know that it exists right now. In Irvine, we don't have any bike lanes that are protected, but uh, what in many other cities, what we'll see is they'll do plastic posts, but which sometimes don't really prevent cars from entering them. In many of the more dedicated cities, they'll put concrete and sometimes landscaping within that concrete to separate uh, bikes from cars. So, Or they say soften, soften the traffic. So, and I heard you say, cars that are operating at 55 miles an hour, but you and I and the listener, the three of us, we are very clear. 55 is not the top speed. Absolutely. That's just the posted speed limit. You know, we we see cars going maybe 60, 65, the, the 85th percentile speed limit, which is the law how California sets its speed limits. And that dictates that there's always going to be at least 15% of drivers who are breaking that speed. So you're absolutely correct on that. And in preparation for the interview, I was raising the whole matter of distracted drivers. I don't know that it's topped off that we, you know, everybody's, the, the worst that can happen is that the highest rate of distraction is, it, it couldn't get any more extreme, I don't know, but the distracted driver confounds the lethality of a 55 plus operating car. Yes, 100%. I think that that is something that we do see in the city very often. And I think the police are very aware of it. And I do know that they're starting to step up their game on in terms of enforcement. I, I hear a lot of stories about how they're starting to take it more serious. And I think that hope with more enforcement, we might see some, some of that reduced. So, so I want to add one other thought in the e-bikes is the e-scooters is that another sort of piece in the mix of transportation because i think that's also proliferated since the e-bikes have since the e-bikes introduction yes 100 percent. we do see a lot of people using e-scooters these days it is a pretty convenient form of electric transportation in that You'll see a lot of these students, they'll bring in these scooters in them inside the classrooms with them. It's very light. It's very portable. It's efficient. And it is definitely, I think, a part of the climate change solutions in terms of encouraging micromobility. So. But they are bodies that are you know, weaving in out there. They're requiring an element of awareness and a kind of anticipation on everybody's part because it's there it's a pretty widely sort of mode weaving in and around that i i am my cycle or in my car i'm not sure i can actually anticipate and i i want to know bicyclist to bicyclist if you understand what i'm talking about that it's it's right. a thing right yeah um so there are some laws that i think the public are not entirely familiar about when it comes to e-scooters for one I believe that you're not allowed to bike on or not allowed to operate it on the sidewalk. Now, are the police enforcing it? I think they're not, but that I do believe that is on the books. Another thing is uh, a lot of these scooters, especially these 
you know, these rideshare, you know, like Bird or Lyft, where they have these scooters you can rent in some of these cities, you have to have a license to operate them. So on some level, I do feel like there are some existing laws on the books that we could be doing a better job of enforcing. And that might be that might help alleviate some of these uh, traffic safety issues that we see today. And I bring that up because I can be very specific about recalling within the last maybe week, week and a half, where I could not anticipate where a lane change or a crossing through an intersection, what that the e-scooter was going to do. So I'm, I'm just going to put it out there and, and that's I won't have you unpack that much more because we have a lot to talk about with the e-bikes together. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Youssef Kadesh. He's the Transportation Commissioner for City Council member Kathleen Traceder. And so let's get to then, I want to be more proactive in our discussion. It's sort of, it's too late where we're talking about how something's enforced. I'm really, really interested in the hardscape, the the hardware of the transportation mix and how the where the city council's position to think very expansively about those kinds of protected lanes, bike lanes and all. And are are there, you know, you must have been on different excursions around nearby cities or do you have how far would you have to go for the really best models for those kind of protected bike lanes? Well, we do see Costa Mesa is starting to experiment with it. Uh, the, they do have a few miles here and there. Uh, Santa, downtown Santa Ana, you'll start to see some of those as well. But kind of where you see a real mode shift impact is in Santa Monica. Not, uh, they're installing protected bike lanes left and right. They have seen it, it's it's a different city. When I go there. It's amazing how many people I'm seeing biking now, and with the amount of traffic that's going on there, it it only makes sense to install more of this type of infrastructure. So that that's a, that's a, probably the best local example I could give. Okay, Santa. and and that there's no nothing casual about that. Santa Monica has signed on for years with accommodating in every way the cyclist. Years ago on this show, I had a Santa Monica sort of bike advisor, and they have a whole sort of they're, they have a building designated for bicyclists to shower and store their bikes safely. I mean, there's all kinds of interest. They've made policy and program choices so consciously years ago. So that's it's mm-hmm. so it's kind of an uphill kind of shifting mindset to get to where Santa Monica, the stellar, the platinum standard might be. Right, which is why we have to start today because there's not so much, the climate is only getting is only getting worse and worse every day, and it's it is a very uphill battle to change how an entire transportation uh, system works, and we're only gonna start bare bones here. So, and so you will contribute in in both in terms of being a commissioner, and I've seen you. I well, sometimes you you wear the advocate hat. You, as a constituent, you have things also to say there. So um, what is an important, it's kind of a call to action, I guess. Uh, uh, what do you want listeners to exert? Where can they get educated and follow these sort of baby steps to keep the Irvine City Council on track with making these really essential inroads? 
Well, what I would encourage the public to do is communicate with your city council because it really does have an impact. Local government is not like state and federal government where it's very remote with your constituencies. No, it's it's your council members are pretty accessible and they do listen to public opinion. So email your city council members, I would say, and if not, maybe even give comments in, in person. Usually the city council meetings are on a Tuesday uh, in the afternoon, I, which I realize is not ideal, but emails do have an impact as well. And yes, just continue to be civically engaged. It, it does make a difference. I, I really can't tell you personally from, from what I've done and what I've seen other people do that it, it can move some things along. So part of the uh, this kind of program and advocacy is raising the profile of bicycle riding. And I, I noticed, uh, I'm sorry, I missed the event, lots going on. And that council member Traceder and you had in North Irvine, a, a bike social about two Saturdays ago. No, actually, it's about to come this Saturday on August 5th, where it's a, a constituent outreach event where we're hosting a community bike ride with some of the people. Uh, I will be there. Council Member Trasita will be there. We are um, just going out, talking to the community, whatever issue they'd like, just kind of get to know everybody. And that's kind of the intent of the event. It should be very fun. We're going to San Joaquin Marsh. Councilmember Traceder, who is also Dr. Traceder of UCI, a professor, she will give some uh, ecology comments on the marsh and, and some of the trails, uh, the channels that we see along the trails, uh, should be a great event. So I, I encourage everybody to come and chat with us. So this is a series then of socials. Yeah, it's a it's a series of socials. We're we're dubbing it Sustainable Saturdays, and this is the first one. It's going to be. This time it's a bike ride and we haven't contemplated fully what the other events might entail, but for the first one, it's going to be a, a community bike ride. I can't resist, Yusef, that <laughs> we have now also going on at the city council meetings are lots of references to A-listers that appear at the Live Nation temporary amphitheater. And I'm just, I, I think it's time to go for broke is get an A-lister on a bike down somewhere, <laughs> some right away in Irvine. Somebody already thinking about that? <laughs> no, but that's a very good, that's a very good suggestion. You know, I hear Robert Downey Jr. is a, is a big cyclist. Maybe I'll have to get him <laughs> for our next event. <laughs> and you know, they want to do the right thing and you know, they want more visibility. They, they want to get caught doing the right thing. So I, I think we're just, we're sending out assignments here. <laughs> so um, what other things, because this, there's a lot of steps. I call them baby steps. There are so many ways to mm -hmm. start reconfiguring the right of way so that people are aware of the options and they're assured of the options that they would exercise. What other steps have we not taken up? Well, in terms of right of way, I've mentioned protected bike claims. We um, protected intersections as well. So it kind of manages how, regulates how um, cyclists and cars interact in a safer way. So that is something ideally that will be part of the mobility plan in, in terms of this class four approach. Outside of a right of way approach, though, I think what is lacking in the community right now is a traffic traffic education in our youth. Uh, the Irvine Police Department have the has this really great initiative that they've just uh, started at a high school where 
they require high schoolers to go through a traffic safety course in order to park their e-bike at school. And I really like this approach. It's very education-based. It gets the necessary information to these kids. It is a success model in cities such as Laguna Beach, I've heard. It has led to some improvements there. And they plan on expanding it to Irvine, plans on expanding this to all the high schools and potentially even the middle schools at some point. So that is traffic safety is unfortunately something that has been uh, traffic education in our youth has been something that's very neglected for decades. And I'm unhappy that this e-bike issue is finally raising awareness for that. Well, Yusuf, you're not at Northwood High School anymore, but before you were, and when mine were enrolled in high school, I, or maybe it was after, I was, my pipe dream was, it's not just the education part, but I was thinking, why are we missing an opportunity to, we should build an incentive for people to ride their bikes? Because around University High School, it's flat for most of the the catchment area that it's, it's it seems like it would be so much more work to get your car into the bottleneck than just to hop you know hop in on your bike and get to school so don't you see that the incentivizing of that choice for high school students can we not make it make bicycle riding great again <laughs> well i do think that in terms of the transportation culture we have in in this in our city and the country, it, it is a very car dependent one, and we're going to have to get creative and find ways to get people to choose cycling. Part of that is just making it safe and making it convenient. And That's that, true. Yeah, and just that alone, you'll get a lot of people off the road to, and that you will see already meaningful reductions in emissions and traffic congestion. So that alone. I do believe we'll get some people off the road. Now, part of some of the initiatives like we're having our community bike ride is to kind of encourage that uh, cycling as a culture and kind of raising awareness for it. And you'll see a lot of politicians do this uh, across many municipalities. So it, it is a challenge how to get people out of their cars. But first and foremost, you can't have that cycling culture. You can't create those incentives to bike without the safe infrastructure to begin with and that's something that I am pushing really hard to get there to get, for us as a city to get there to at least have this base layer of safe infrastructure where I can bike where I can put on a blindfold and lay out a map on the table put my finger in two random places like yep I can bike there from point a to point b perfectly safely without any fear for for my life that's that's the dream right there so. so, and I grant you that people are at their worst when they're driving to a school site. That that is, uh, parents never disappoint in terms of how lethally they can be operating <laughs> that. So we understand that, but I guess it would be, would it not, Yusef, a sort of critical mass proposition? So many bikes all rolling in together. We raise that bike culture up to enormous mm. heights, but a critical mass of them, and they will eventually understand. There, it is so much faster to get to school on a bike. Right. Yes, I think critical critical mass is a fantastic event. I've yet to go. I do want to go, but the trains don't run that late, unfortunately. So it would be kind of a struggle to get there on, with my bike. But uh, right, I just mean to a high school, a critical yeah, or, or, mass or, or, of bicycles. Right. I, I think what you're. I think another term you're thinking of is a school bus. That is something that. Yes. I, exactly. I, 
Yeah, I've heard from the community, some people that they've advocated, that they'd like to see that. And that's something I haven't thought about too much, but that is a very interesting idea. I, I would be very interested in that. And on that note, I have well, to- but, but the school bus idea though, it usually implies there's a parent involved and we do not want, this is, these are young adults that are getting on their own steam. That's why I bring that up, the, the critical mass. It's a little hipper reference. You were going to say- Right, I, I agree. Um, I, I had to bring up also in terms of another front that we're doing on the city, in terms of creating more of that biking culture in Irvine, is we're going to be hosting an open streets event, or at least the council's going to, or the council's going to consider hosting an open streets event, and it's going to come back to council before the end of the year. Uh, hope we're thinking um, sometime around, assuming all goes well, we're thinking sometime next year we will have this event. If you're not familiar with the concept of an open street, basically it's where you close down the road temporarily for a few hours and allow free roam of pedestrians and cyclists. And it, this way you can really connect with your community in a truly raw and honest way, in a way which you couldn't in a, you know, or everybody's in their tiny, uh, you know, two-ton boxes, nobody's talking with each other. So it it is a really great way of enhancing community, a sense of community encouraging people who might have not biked in years to dust off their bike from the garage and come to come bike on on a major road and and just have fun so that that is another initiative we're doing in terms of encouraging that biking culture and that's a ciclovia is the whole proposition you're talking about yeah yeah the the name we've dubbed for now is cicla irvine okay And, and that that's the name we're using right now yeah okay fine well, it, it's an interesting thought, a ciclovia in a, a very suburban municipality. And I, I've been playing around in that uh, in my head there, too. And I noticed it wasn't a slam dunk. The council wasn't all of the same mind. There's a little, little culture kind of sub sub war going on there. I thought that was kind of interesting. So, folks, if you like the sound of this, that it's that there will take some it will be necessary for some exertion of advocacy here to get everybody on the same page about that because it did break down there was a little mini culture war wasn't there yeah i think the concern was the need for it in terms of uh you know we have some trails but unfortunately but that's not what the event is about you know open streets event is about reclaiming the streets for you know what are tons of asphalt usually dedicated to motor vehicles and kind of turning them into a public park really and it it, it's a new way to engage with your community that you can't just replicate on a trail. And there's a certain joy of doing that on a, uh, on the road and kind of repurposing the built out environment for that purpose. So. Well, thank you for all that. I guess my last question, Yusuf, is how did you get to work today? <laughs> I took my e-bike to work today. <laughs> okay. Where did my... you top out at? What speed? Uh. 18 miles an hour Uh, I have a plus two e-bike so I I don't go that much faster than a normal bike I would say well I want to thank you today for your time Youssef thank you for having me I had a lot of fun thank you my guest was Youssef Kadesh he's transportation commissioner for city council member Kathleen Traceder talking about our transit choices here in Irvine and mainly how we can re-engineer our thinking and our streets to bring the e-bike forward.
Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Nothing compares. Nothing compares to you.